You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I've got my buddy Ryan with me. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. We are here for our one year anniversary to talk about the 2017 Nicolas Cage led film, The Humanity Bureau. Yes, which we've been planning on doing for our one year anniversary <laughs> for the full year because, you know, it's such a highly rated film. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's iconic. It is an iconic film. But we have been doing this. We have been doing the Coming of Cage podcast for a year. We have covered 25 Nicolas Cage movies up until this point. And, you know, we thought it might be fun just real quick to mention maybe a couple of high points and maybe a low point or two. So, Ryan, what's what's a high point over these 25 films? What's one that you, you know, you really like? Maybe it surprised you. You didn't know. Just one. Okay, or, well, or two. It doesn't have to, you know. You you tell me. Well, I mean, so so of like, you know, the one that surprised me the most is probably a mainstream film that wouldn't surprise most people because they've seen it. I just hadn't seen it, and that was Moonstruck. I loved it. Mm. Um, but if I had to go with like movies that are maybe surprising to probably more than the average moviegoer, um, like a more of a Nick Cage enthusiast, uh, it could happen to you. Was surprisingly good. I I did that was one of our early ones, and I really enjoyed that one. Episode two. And then uh, the trust was surprisingly good as well, um, in my opinion. Now a lot of people, I'm sure, will disagree, but I really enjoyed that one. Um, so yeah, those those are two like deeper cuts of Nick Cage movies uh, that I, I've enjoyed in these first 25 that were definitely surprising to me. What about well, you? That's really nice. Um, I I agree with you on. Oh, that's a cop on, out. No, 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 on. no, on the trust. I oh, agree okay. with you on the trust. I think the trust is a hidden gem that most people ourselves included missed, you know, for a number of reasons, but that was surprisingly good. Uh, Elijah Wood's also great in it as well as Nick, but for me, and this is one I'm sure a lot of people had seen, but I hadn't. And that's the family. man. Yeah. I knew you were going to say that. I really like the family man. And those who don't know me, I, I am Jewish. Christmas is not my, my jam, but I do have a few Christmas movies. I love, you know, jingle all the way. Home Alone, the Santa Claus, and now and this the one's going to get man. added to the rotation. Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. So the Family Man. Yeah. yeah, but there's also been some bad movies on this list. I'm sorry, Mr. Cage, but there's been some rough movies in here. And for me, my bottom. I'm just going to go with my bottom two because I rated them both the same from a quality standpoint. The bottom two are Zondali, which I think is not surprising, as well as prisoners of the ghost land which was incomprehensible throughout most of the film uh, at least i know what happened in zondali it might have been terrible but i can explain it to somebody <laughs> yeah that's fair <laughs> what about you anything that you really didn't care for so i mean both of those movies i think i like prisoners of the ghost land a little more than you did um because i at least saw like the artistic value in it but uh yeah Zondali I agree was definitely one of my lower points but probably I, I brought this up before and I feel bad because it was a well-made movie but I just it's been the most boring movie I think that we've watched and that was the Cotton Club mm. it was you know even a lot of the other bad movies we've watched have at least kept my attention through the movie but man 
Uh, I guess the Croods would be on there too. And that's <laughs> there's apparently a whole online community of Croods fans is probably going to really hate me now. But um, I, I like I, the Croods was so bad that I couldn't even remember the things you were talking about that happened at the end. I mean, I know I was there for it and it was playing, but I 100% don't remember if I fell asleep during it or just what what happened because I don't remember many of the things you mentioned happening at the end of the movie and my notes for the that's the only time my notes have been completely incomprehensible so and cotton club was uh man it was very just it was a well-made movie and it was an about important subjects and something that i actually do find interesting you know that that era but man it just was not for me that you know yeah well i've got good news and bad news for you the good news is cotton club did not get a sequel the but the Croods did. <laughs> well, allegedly the Croods sequel is better than the first one, from oh, what I've heard. So it that. may not be rated higher, but uh, I have heard from a few people that the sequel is better. So I hope so. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, there you have it. If you have, if you've been following this journey with us through these first twenty-five films, our first year of the show, and you have a movie that stuck out to you, good or bad. Let us know. Go to comingofcage.com. Find us at Coming of Cage for all of that. And you can also find, we're going to start posting, starting with our next episode. We're testing it out here. We'll be posting a Coming of Cage Cajo bingo card. That yeah, you this play. is a thing that I've joked about a few <laughs> times, or both of us have joked about a few times, and things that happen in, if you listen to these episodes, there's a few things that I say basically every time mm-hmm. that always happen in a Cage movie or happen the majority of the time. And uh, yeah, so we finally created our business, our business card, our bingo card. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're going to be playing. We'll probably be doing a separate segment. We haven't quite figured it out yet, but we'll probably be doing a separate segment that we'll post on social medias. Um, but yeah, it should be fun. Uh, and maybe we'll release some of the bingo cards, you know, for people to play along at home, too. But we haven't talked about that. That's just me running off on a tangent. No, I think we will. I think it'll be fun. We'll post one each week or each episode, and you can use that card for that episode and play along as you watch the movie. I will say I didn't get a bingo this episode. Did you get a bingo this episode? I did not. I filled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, plus the free space. So I got so close. I'm missing yeah. one. And Derek and I are using different cards and yeah. we do have some different criteria that might be swapped in from week to week. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens. It'll yeah. all be random all the time. We're not going to plan ahead of time or anything no. like that. So yeah, it'll be fun. So stay tuned for that. But now it's time to talk about the star of our one year anniversary episode, the humanity bureau, which is quote, a dystopian thriller set in the year 2030 that sees the world in a permanent state of economic recession and facing serious environmental problems as a result of global warming. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember the movie ever stating the year being. OK, so that's a lot of my notes uh, were trying to determine the year. So we'll definitely hit that up. I was actually going to ask you about that, because the first thing I want to say is that, you know, not every one of these movies is super easy to acquire as a free viewing experience. So sometimes I have to go through alternative means to find the movie and this one the version that i watched the entire like opening text where it's like setting up the movie was in a different language and i'm not sure what language it was <laughs> it was on now, peacock man i just watched was it, on it? Pe- yeah i watched it on peacock okay well that's on me then but you know in this case <laughs> uh yeah it was in a totally different language i don't feel like it really would have helped me understand what's going on necessarily because 
you know, maybe it would have been a little less confusing right in the beginning. But the, I mean, eventually it was pretty straightforward what was going on. There wasn't much to it. I mean, I'm not going to waste people's time, but if you go to the IMDB under quotes, it does have each of the title cards typed out in case you do want to read what they are. I will say that the date makes zero sense because Nick has a line later in the movie where he says they haven't made a car in 30 hey, years. Hey, you're jumping ahead, man. No, I know, but like just the synopsis says 2030, which means they would have already had to have stopped making cars when they were making the movie. So it just doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. So whoever wrote that synopsis, I'm sorry, the date's wrong. I would say just remove that and just say this takes place in the future. Sure. So there we go. It's a dystopian future. There's no water. There's no plants. There's no food. There's walled off cities like Judge Dredd, but nowhere near the budget of even the Stallone Judge Dredd movie. And so here we are. Right. And we start off with a horrible cage driving green screen. Um, well, which we, is... actually, we start with the drone that comes in. And that oh, looked, yeah. That looked re- equally bad. Yeah. Uh, and then we get cage driving in the green screen, uh, which is actually on our bingo card. Um, it is. Bad, bad green screen, Nick Cage driving. Because a lot of these uh, you know, we'll reference a lot. And we've referenced that in several movies. Um, Dog Eat Dog, I think. And. Uh, what was the one with the kidnapped daughter in the trunk of the taxi? Stolen. Stolen. Yeah. I mean, there's been several movies where we've had that. So, uh, oh, yeah. I think even the trust had some bad green screen driving. But yeah, that's a pretty common one for us. So, but that's how we basically start off the movie, apart from the drone. Um, my next note is that selling clean water is a felony without a license. You have to be a licensed yeah. clean water salesperson. Okay, so you you have played at least one Fallout game. I've played parts of several. I've just only, f- quote, well, yeah. I, that's all I was asking. And so, yeah, we, this did the a lot of the things happening in this movie remind you of Fallout? Yes. Okay. They did. I, I mean, not the cool aesthetic, which is what really gets me in the Fallout. Right. Is the aesthetic. Uh, you know, it was and, like Fallout, like the stuff that is Fallout, but not everything that makes it really extra cool, you know? It was none of the fun stuff. Right. It wasn't tongue in cheek. It was very serious. Like Fallout's a little more satire, right? Yeah. This is like the serious version of it with a yes. lower budget. This I'm going to keep hitting the lower budget because I really think that's that's the Achilles heel of this movie is the lack of money. I think that's part of it. Yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of things that reminded me and I'll probably reference it in my notes several times, but yeah, starting out with the clean water thing, because in fallout games, it's similar where you, you, you know, fall finding clean water is a big deal. It's very rare and you know, it's not easy to acquire and they're definitely like leaning hard into that in this movie. Yeah. Throughout the film. Yeah. Um, so at this point, they're just kind of setting up the movie, which is that Nick Cage is like a, a government worker. Bingo. That, yeah, which is also on the bingo card <laughs> that works for the Humanity Bureau that's yes. in charge of judging how productive humans are. Americans, uh, specifically. Americans. Yeah. And if they are not productive, then they get sent to a place called New Eden. And uh if they He's are like an insurance adjuster, basically, but yeah, he goes this. in and calculates like some sort of number that determines if somebody's productive enough. And so, yeah, at this point, he gets a he get we get a little line that says being a productive citizen is the law that shows us, you know, at this point, if you're not productive enough per the government's, uh, 
I think the rule was you have to put in more than you take out, essentially. They mentioned that at one point, that you have to you have to be more productive than what you take. They they do say that, but I do think that that's it's it's not quite explained well because people have ration cards. For example, they mentioned that the guys used up his government benefits and it you it wouldn't really be possible for people to get a bunch of government benefits, but also contribute more than they're taking because then they wouldn't need the, the benefit. It's not explained very well. Yeah. So uh, you, the, you see him basically this the scene is he's rolling into a town and he's going to see this old man to At do like his... a rundown motel. Yeah, that is, he's going to go do his audit or whatever yeah. you would call it. And uh, so he goes to this guy's house and they make a major point of showing like the dishes have maggots on them and there's flies and he's just living in this horrible like environment that would for most people be a major problem. Um, and they make a point to show the poster on the wall that says uh, like make America great. Mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously a reference to certain political things that have happened recently. And this movie was in 2017, mm-hmm. so it would have been relevant. And then there was also a poster of Trump, mm-hmm. Donald Trump, which is weird if this is set so much later. But um, well, we yeah. find out that this guy, when he was younger, was I think a, maybe governor or senator of Montana. Yeah, and so he knew he was friendly with. And so like, I think there's even a photo of the two of them together when he's younger. Right. I think yeah. that's what it shows. Maybe it wasn't a poster. Maybe yeah. there was both. I don't remember. But yeah, at some point it shows Donald Trump in one of the photos. And uh, so apparently this guy is going to get sent to New Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he asks to go to the bathroom or steps aside or something like that. And he goes and grabs a gun. And Big he gun. says, I know the truth. And blasts through the door attempting to kill Nicolas Cage's character. Noah Cross. Noah. And uh, does not kill him because that would have been a short movie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, then eventually he comes out and he's still screaming about the truth and he gets killed. He does end up killing the motel person, the guy running the motel. The motel person hears the gunshot and runs up and then gets shot by him it looked like a double barreled shotgun so that was probably his second shot so he was probably done at that point and mm-hmm. uh yeah so then i think believe it was nick cage's character that killed him yeah he so. he shoots three times gets him like right between the eyes it becomes a point throughout the film that doesn't really resolve itself and, and it's also funny um you know we Derek and I have very different life experiences but something that is has been a life experience of me is shooting guns and um <laughs> gunplay in movies is important to me as far as immersion goes and the gunplay in this movie they clearly had no one on set and no training ahead of time because when he pulls out the gun he's like aiming all over the place you can tell he's not even barely pointed anywhere near the guy and it and you hear the gunshots and then the guy is magically shot in the head but there was the gun was at no point aimed anywhere near the guy's head and it's just distracting the gun has no weight so when he pulls it out it's like flopping on his hand like an airsoft gun um yeah and Man, maybe that's not an important point for a lot of people but for me it does kind of break immersion it, there's there's a scene later that we'll get to that i think was just yes, even worse there and... is <laughs> yeah i know the scene you're talking about but yes this set up the action scenes for this movie as uh something that should be not 
looked forward to. You know, this was and the I bar think, at this point. <laughs> yes, and, and I think that's another point on our list or on our bingo is bad action sequences. Bad and action this one sequences. Definitely and loaded up with those. Nick shoots a gun. Yes, both so, bingos. There you go. Um, yeah. So my next one is fishing practice because yeah. he goes. I think he he goes back to either the bureau headquarters, it's his apartment, his apartment, something like that. Yeah. And he's he's got like a fly, a fly. He's got pictures referencing that he's a fly fisherman, but then it shows him multiple times tying up a jig that is not a fly. Like he has a trophy for fly fishing, but then I, that flashback sequence where it shows somebody like up close tying a fishing lure on mm-hmm. that is absolutely not a fishing a fly fishing. Lure. I think he was just supposed to be like into fishing across the board. Sure, but they showed a specific trophy that said it was a trophy for fly fishing. So it's just kind of weird that they wouldn't just show a fly. Like, what's the difference? You know, why yeah, not show I, a fly fishing lure if you know that he's a champion fly fisher? My my guess is somebody had that trophy in yeah, like, exactly storage, right right. And... The prop guy is like, well, I got a fly fishing trophy that I right. won. If you want me to put it in there, and then they were like, well, no one's gonna care about right. that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or maybe he's just such a good fisherman that he just is an expert at multiple types, which is possible. Although there haven't been lakes in twenty years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of the big thing in this movie is that there's no water that's clean, you know, and uh, the he's lakes still, have like, been gone. He's still really good. Like he casts it right in the cup and stuff and like the aiming, like that keeps coming up that he's like some crazy marksman. I was really thinking that was going to pay off at some point. Right. Like he was going to hook the bad guy at the end or something or, or some, something, something. Yeah, it really doesn't. There's no payoff for that. No. It's, it just sets up like where he wants to go right. in the end of the movie, because that's where he was when he was a kid and he was fishing. Um, which by the way, I'm just gonna, so Adam Westinghouse is the, the big bad. It takes him way too long to figure that out. Yeah. I just I mean, want to throw that out there. The writing in this movie overall was not good. The dialogue was bad. Um, I will say overall, I did actually enjoy this movie. Like it kept my attention. It was not a good movie by any means, but it was almost like it reminded me of other bad movies that were not intentional. Like now that there's a trend for making intentionally bad movies. Right. This was like a this real was, B movie. This was a real bad movie that yeah. was part of, that had some appeal because it was so bad. Mm-hmm. And like the dialogue was just fucking terrible, real bad. Um, so yeah, my next note is major fallout energy from this so far. I don't really remember what really set that off, but um, there's definitely like yeah, it, it was like somebody played a Fallout game and decided to remove everything that makes that franchise really cool, <laughs> like we already talked about. Right. So I I told uh, my girlfriend that I was watching the movie with that if they started playing like '40s music, I would have been totally that would have that would made yes. the movie go up like a point or two on my scale immediately. But they didn't do that at all. Um. So my next note is about his choice of car because. The Humanity Bureau has many different vehicles throughout this movie. It seems that the majority of them are Dodge Durangos. Yeah, SUVs. Um, but he drives a 1981 El Camino. Uh-huh. Um, which I didn't recognize at first because it's kind of a later mod- model El Camino, not the ones that like people actually want. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure somebody out there is an enthusiast for this generation of El Camino. But it's not the like classic El Camino. It's like an right. '80s El Camino, right before they stopped making them, and it's just not like the best looking car in the world. But for some reason, he has a mint, like spotless version of this El Camino that he put Humanity Bureau stickers all over. Well, did he do that, or is it a company car? The comp I I imagine that the way he talks about this car 
later in the movie makes it fe- makes me feel like he chose the car because I can't imagine there's ever any government agency is like we're going to use an El Camino and then everything else is going to be Dodge Durango's. I mean, I'm with you. My 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 only thought was just that if if it's true that they haven't made a car in 30 years, that maybe they just use whatever they have, and they if they the guy who goes out by himself just gets the two seater. You know? Well, yeah, I, I I more saw it as if people can provide their own car, then they just slap the stickers on, you know, and call it good. But I, either way, Maybe. I don't want to dig too deep no. into the lore of this movie. But that's um, got that. It's got like a, a dystopian grill attached to the front of it, though. Right. You know, it does. Yeah. And so this is this is when I started questioning what year this movie is, because okay. it's not clear. We start, you know, we read that synopsis, but I had not read that prior to the watching this movie. So I had no idea what year this actually was supposed to be. So I was trying to figure that out through the years of the cars. So, I mean, I knew that was an early 80s El Camino at this point. So I figured at the very least it's 2010. But then uh, that wouldn't have made sense with the Donald Trump stuff. Right. So I figured it had to be at least like 2017 or 2018 at this point um but uh, there's more clues later that i'll get into as to when i was trying to figure out this movie that also lend credibility to your assessment that it was not actually 2030 um so yeah i at this point there was several green screen driving moments Mm -hmm. and it started to feel reminiscent of like really old serial serial type movies like 50s serial movies where they did that on purpose like well that was the style then but it felt like they were trying to emulate that almost and i can't this at this point i couldn't tell if it was just really bad green screen or if they were trying to emulate that look that's you know what i mean interesting yeah maybe it was on purpose i don't know i can't say but i can definitely see it now that you're mentioning it because 2017 like we had the technology to do decent green screen for fairly cheap with driving so it makes me think that that was an intentional choice but i don't know why i'm trying you know trying to figure out the reason but maybe just to kind of like create the headspace for him because they've also set it up where now we only get to see him go on two cases so we don't get like a huge back catalog here to, to build him up but both of them are out in the middle of nowhere so he has to leave new vegas um fallout reference again i guess um you know to go see these people they're hundreds of miles away from the city um and so i i don't know maybe they're just trying to set that kind of old-timey feel that's interesting it's certainly possible it's also you know they use that with a lot of like private investigator movies things like that and like noir type Mm -hmm. movies and this was about like an investigator so maybe they're just trying to correlate that i i'm not sure but i thought that that's that at this point in the movie is where i realized that that may be a purposeful choice rather than just cheap green screen because we have seen the cheap green screen in a lot of other movies Mm -hmm. and this felt more purposeful than that maybe i'm giving the director too much credit but anyway we don't we'll never know unless we get to interview the director at some point but um so at this point, he goes to his next case is to go to a woman with a child. And when he first introduces himself to her, he says, Mrs. And she says, no, it's just Miss. And so my next note was she corrected him from Mrs. to Miss. She must be the romantic lead. <laughs> well and done, sir. Well there it done. is. Yeah, exactly. well it would take done. a lot of detective work for that, to be honest. But and he, so he meets this woman and her kid. And he's doing like running the numbers and she comes out of like the bathroom or something. 
and he hides the numbers because apparently it's a big secret. But then when the kid comes over and she's not in there later, he's fine with it. He just leaves them up. And the kid's like, do you carry a gun? He's like, yeah, it's a Beretta 92 FC or whatever it was. And and uh, he, and he's like, here, you want to see it? And he just takes a clip out and like pulls the bullet out and hands him the, this kid this gun. I mean, that he's known for like a couple hours. Yeah, just lets the kid play with the gun. And, you know, obviously when you have a gun, you can take the bullets out, but you're never, I mean, it's just a general rule that you, that you sh- probably shouldn't do something like that. And to we always do, treat a gun as if it was loaded. Yeah, absolutely. And you do learn later maybe why he was trying very hard to make the kid happy. I don't yes. know if you want, you know. Later on, you, you but... do learn that. But at this point, we had no idea. No. It was a little weird. Um, also, at this point, it was incredibly obvious to me what New Eden was. I watched this other show that I think I've talked to you briefly about called Future Man. Yeah. And in one of the seasons of Future Man, there is a storyline about this place where they're going to take these people and they're going to be happy. Uh, you know, they, they can't stay on this earth. They have to go to another planet or they they call it like the Mars Project or something like that. And it, and in the end, it was the Mars acronym stood for something like murdering all something. I don't remember. But that's at this point, I was like, OK, so is New Eden code for murdering unproductives? And spoiler alert. Yes, it absolutely is. It was super obvious from the beginning. You know, you're you're sending people there and never nobody's ever hearing from them um it's a pretty common you know not that future man is the only one to have ever done that but that was just what popped into my mind it's something i was very familiar with well i think that's the problem i think this movie would play a lot better if it had been made in like the 50s or the 60s because the whole premise is a very classic sci-fi logan's run era yeah 70s but type type premise right and it's just being made in 2017 with no budget and so I'm with you. Yeah. And, and it's fine. I mean, it, it's just not that unique of a storyline. And if it was, it seemed like later it was supposed to be a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise at all. The heavy, the, the like hints that they give earlier in the movie were very heavy handed. Um, well, also like it just, they don't do a good job of selling it to the audience because at the end of the day, they're like, okay, so the quote, least productive people end quote are going to get sent to this magical paradise? special yeah, paradise. Why? why how, how, how can we afford that? What's Where, the motivation to work then? Cause if you don't, then you get sent to paradise. So that seems like a win-win. Right. So like, it didn't seem like that made any sense. And then of it course, didn't make that, any sense. you know, the kid talks about how his friend went there and he never heard from him again. You're like, okay, this is just, they're all dead. Right. Exactly. They're either um, dead or it's like, or it's a prison camp. One of the two, but it's certainly something nothing like good. that. Yeah. I mean, I, I assumed death. Yeah. But uh, that's just because I go to the worst possible scenario. Um, and then Nick Cage goes slapped. I don't remember what happened specifically. But my next note was slapping Nick Cage. He's trying. So he, he knows they have to leave and he's trying to talk her into it in a nice positive way and not have her like run or whatever. Cause he doesn't know that doesn't this is know. a murder thing at this point. He thinks he's actually sending people to like this paradise or whatever. Right. And she, you know, he's like, well, why would you want to stay here? And yada, yada, yada. And she, she gets fed up with him and slaps him. Yes. Cause he, he gives um, her the pamphlet, the brochure, which yeah. that was just, that was pretty funny. Right. Let's see. All he's seen from new Eden is a brochure. Right. And we don't even ever get to see the brochure. So at this point, the audience has like no information on New Eden other than what 
the Nick Cage character has said and all the other very heavy handed hints mm-hmm. about what it is. I mean, between there's like a billboard we get to see and the ty- that TV commercial. And so I think like from that, I gather they're pitching it like it's a retirement community kind of vibe. Right. You know, that's the, that's uh, the vibe I was getting. So then the kid is like playing around. He goes up to the roof. What is he trying to do on the roof? I can't remember. Oh, he finds a baby bird on the ground. Yeah. Yes, that is still alive. And he sees the nest up in like the chimney of the house. So he gets up on the roof and he tries to return the baby bird to the chi- to, to the nest in the chimney. And in doing so, I mean, I don't think he successfully does it. So the baby bird probably died either way. But well, no, because we see Nick with the with the dead bird later. Oh, do we? Yeah. I guess I missed that. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, he falls off the roof and uh like is dead for a little while until nick cage starts hitting him in the back he does cpr kind of uh he does a a form of cpr <laughs> a form of cpr um look this and, is yeah. 2030 cpr ryan you don't even know it's so advanced <laughs> uh yeah and the kid comes back to life magically and so the next scene is like the mom bathing the kid and nick cage is like around the corner yeah that's when he's holding the bird Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. I guess I didn't look at his hands. But yeah, it was a weird scene. Like, why is he staying with this family? Why is the door open when this kid is bathing and he's like right around the corner? It's just very uncomfortable. And why did he stay at the house that long? So it was bright, you know, bright part of the day when he goes and saves this kid's life. Well, because we need we need him too, because it furthers the plot along with our other yeah. character. I mean, that's the obvious answer, but it doesn't make any sense in context. <laughs> Okay, so in the next scene is where my investigative work for the year continues. We see some Humanity Bureau vehicles at, like, Humanity Bureau headquarters, uh-huh. and they are Dodge Durangos, and they did not start making Dodge Durangos until 1998. So, at this uh. point, uh, Nick has already said that they haven't made vehicles in 30 years. Oh, no, he hadn't said that yet. So I knew at this point that this definitely takes place after 98, but right. I already figure that out but that gives me at least a year context if there were any context clues later we find out 30 years but um so i don't remember how this was set up but he at some point gets to an elevator with this guy and they have a meeting because he wants to find out what the he goes back to where that old man incident happened and finds a piece of paper so this scene is confusing i believe the scene is a flashback I oh, think okay. we didn't get to see him do that the first time. And it's being shown to us now as explanation because he's sitting on this bench and this guy in a truck throws him a match, an empty matchbook or match case that's got like writing in it. And then he goes to a greenhouse and there's a pamphlet there and he goes somewhere else. Like it's very much like he's working with some type of network of people yeah. that he got in contact with somehow. We never really learn how he knows about them, but yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, he gets to this meet. Basically, all these clues lead to an elevator, where he gets into an elevator, and there's an attendant in there that seems a little, you know, suspicious. And so they get into the elevator, and you know, after a few floors, the attendant hits the button and starts talking to him. And he, Nick, Nick's character Noah, tells him that he wants to find out the truth about New Eden, and so he gives him like U.S. It looks like a U. Maybe I don't know. It's some future thing, but it looks like a USB USB. stick. USB D. Uh, Yeah, it looks like a USB stick of some kind. Um, And so he gets that USB stick and goes home. Now we 
do, do we already know about his boss investigating him? Did that already happen at this point? Is that probably? Later? Yeah, probably. So his boss, I, I think the scene with the Durangos that I saw was when they shows okay. that he's being investigated. Yeah. Yeah. So his boss is suspicious of him. Yeah. Um, and they talk about promotion. this woman. So while he was with this woman, the woman said, well, can we just have 24 hours? Cause he has a recital that he's been practicing for, for months and it would break his heart to not do it. And so, uh, Noah, Nick Cage's character says, no, we can't do that. But then he puts in a request anyway to delay the sending of them to New Eden or whatever. And then that shows that the, bo- the boss is suspicious of him and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then we the next scene is uh, the recital. And apparently what this kid has been practicing and preparing for for months was to be on the stage and say the Pledge of Allegiance by himself. So, well, you did skip that Nick does watch what's on the USB. He does, and he just goes, "Oh God, what have we done?" or something Which like that. Clearly means nothing good, right? Yeah, but it doesn't show anything. No. So, but there is a reference to the scene that shows it from another angle later, right. of course, because that's how you build suspense in a movie like this, I guess. But yeah, so he shows up to this kid's recital, and the kid says the Pledge of Allegiance really well. It took months to prepare for this. Um, and so that was my next note. He's been practicing the for months for the Pledge of Allegiance question mark. Anyway, uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, but yeah, th- th- then we get a scene of them back at the house and we see the boss standing on like this hill. And this isn't like a desert type environment. There's not like mm-hmm. green trees around or anything. It's just barren. And he's an all black <laughs> so at, on this hill facing the, the maybe like a quarter mile from the house, uh, just like watching the house. But somehow nobody sees him. He, he he would literally look like a person dressed in all black, even a quarter mile away. You'd be able to see that. It would stand out as something unnatural going on. But he misses it. Um, <laughs> so they, I think, see some dust coming. Uh-huh. Uh over the hill as if vehicles were traveling in and uh Noah runs in and tells them to get all their stuff and get ready. And uh the boss comes in and starts doing boss villain things. Shit and is down. Yeah, the kid shoots him in the eye with a BB gun, which I found hilarious. <laughs> and also a fallout reference because when you're a kid in that game, it, or in four, I think. I can't remember which one. In one of them, basically, there's a whole scene when you're a kid where you're given a BB gun and you have to go shoot some, like, mutant cockroaches with it. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was just funny. They, they, they took a lot of things from those games. Um, but, yeah, then we get some, like, really bad action fights from Nick Cage and the villain. A lot of, like, cuts. I don't really know how fun way to say that. Just a lot of cuts. Yeah. Uh, you, you, a lot of times you only see legs moving or like hands. You can't see the faces. Um, just really poor, poor action, which is unfortunate. But it did give me a bingo spot. So, I mean, <laughs> that is a plus side. <laughs> um, and so at some point he escapes from them and they all are in the El Camino and they get away. Uh, he, he like kills all these people. He's wounded the uh, the, the big boss. The kid mm-hmm. wounded the big boss Which, and left so, them. It is important to note that so Adam Westinghouse is is the bad guy boss. He and Noah are like really good friends. They're close. They're buddy buddy. That's, That's what the important. movie tells you, but there's nothing yeah. really to support that. No, um, no. Yeah. So 
they get into the El Camino and they get away as like another car of agents pull up. And somehow these agents just can't turn around and catch the El Camino. But while they're in the El Camino, I know you love this scene. He's like, all right, re- re- revert all all fuel to the to the space thrusters. And he's like no. going through this list of stuff that's talking about like reverting fuel and like it's and I, so my next note was is this El Camino a spaceship? Because <laughs> they have to like go through this whole sequence of commands about the things that they're doing to make it from this place. So I both like and dislike that scene for very different reasons. Uh so yeah, he's got two tanks, he's got a re- like a reserve tank for fuel, right? And so he's transferring fuel from one to the other or whatever. But here's the thing. Like, you've got an El Camino. There's a giant, like, open bed in the back that they've shown is completely, completely yes. empty. Where's the reserve tank? Yeah, I mean, I had less <laughs> of a problem with that than just the way he was, like, commanding it, like a spaceship. Like, it, it reminded me of... Uh... The captain of the S of the of the Enterprise or whatever saying, you know, that we have to have to do like he's telling the computer to do these things yeah. or telling like a subordinate to do these things. It very much felt like that. It was super weird. Um, but yes, yeah, where you know, a, a second fuel tank is a is a fairly common thing on on like big trucks and things like sure. that. Sure. But on an El Camino, there's no room for a second tank. And yeah, like you said, you can clearly see the back of the vehicle. Maybe it wouldn't be a problem for like non-car enthusiasts. But yeah, if there was a secondary tank, it would have like two gallons of fuel or something in it. It would it would be so small that it wouldn't even be worth it. But that's the thing. Like they purposely show the kid, Lucas, like in the bed of the truck, hopping up and down at one point and stuff like earlier before they have to leave. Yeah. Like they, they, they go out of their way to show that there's nothing in the bed of the car you know and like that just kind of annoyed me because like it, it does make sense in universe for him to have two tanks because he's driving hundreds and hundreds of miles in the desert there aren't really any gas stations it makes and sense. gas is harder to find yeah. yeah so logically i get that but you also like you couldn't have just put like a box in the bed of the car to, sure like, you know to make it look like a fuel cell or something but it's anything yeah it, i mean a just... durango is believable that it could have sure. a second gas tank because it could be yeah, inside yeah, yeah you'd never know but they could have been like a crate they could have just put a crate back there and painted it what am i gonna know yeah exactly it, it was yeah it was a weird that was a weird scene and there's no real relevance to it like it's only referenced that one time uh, yeah, i mean true. they do go get gas later I mean, but it it's a, i do think it's a little important because once they get gas that first time they never get gas again yeah never not one it's never referenced that they need gas ever and they go they go all the way from new vegas which i'm assuming is near where current vegas is so nevada all the way up through montana to canada, to canada. On one, I guess, two tanks of gas, I guess. So, uh, yeah, speaking of gas, my next note is, why are the gas pumps from the 50s? It will lend more to, like, the stealing from Fallout, because, you know, aesthetically, we mentioned that nothing really was from Fallout aesthetically, which is one of, you know, the best parts of those games was the aesthetics. But for some reason, in this gas station that they go to, all all the pumps are, like, Fallout era pumps from the, you know, 50s and 60s i have a theory here's my theory infrastructure is so messed up everything is so destroyed it's easier to repair a more analog pump than it would be a modern say like you know quick trip type you know so you're telling me that when whatever happened to make this a post-apocalyptic place happen they went to a bunch of the gas stations and were like ripping out the the newer equipment 
as in raiding antique stores to go find old gas pumps. I don't know. Maybe those it's, types of gas stations still exist out there. I mean, I've never been in the desert of Nevada, so it was just a weird thing. Yeah, I haven't either, but yeah, it was weird. But yeah, in this scene, he doesn't actually pump gas from the pumps because it it, it doesn't do anything when he tries. And, well, and it doesn't accept his his car like his identity card thing. Like he's already been locked out of the system. So the proprietor of the gas station comes out and just like stares at him. <laughs> this poor guy. And basically, he gets mugged for all his gas. Well, and, he goes uh, along with it. He changes his it tune. It is weird. Once... He changes his tune real quick. Like, he's he's aggressive with them immediately, and then two seconds later, they're best friends. And he has, like, a stash of old gas cans. Mm-hmm. He's got a pump. Like, you, he could probably override the pump or something, but instead, he just has a stash of old gas cans that are filled with well, gas. So my thought there is that the government... They took those with them? Well, no, no, that, like, the government doesn't know about those cans. Right. And maybe he's been like slowly like topping off those from other people or something, you know, to have like a reserve. But if he were to tamper with the tanks with those chips on them, then like that's probably like a felony or whatever. And he'd end up in jail or knew right. he himself. Right. Yeah. Because the tanks being from the 50s is so much easier to work on than the tanks from the 2000s. I don't know about but, that. I'm talking about the but, chip reader. No, I know. But, but then they have to install a futuristic chip reader into yeah. it. Well, because so. there's no money. It's all digital. But, right, like, this but is all completely run it's... down. Like, <laughs> Rachel, uh, she's the main woman character. She goes inside at one point and like the shelves, there's nothing on the shelves except for like a box of Twinkies that she ignores for some reason. Um, yeah, they made a point food. to show that. Yeah, that she's looking exist. for food, but doesn't even check the box. I don't know what that was. Well, but. Twinkies are barely food, but um, okay. Yeah, I, at this point, but, like, I this guy to... dies, right? Like there's no way he survives. Right, he gets into his car and he hits one of the government vehicles while they're chasing yeah. the other, the El Camino, to try and like give them time, even though he just met them, but for some reason is all on their side magically. And uh, yeah, so he runs into one of the vehicles and damages it, but there's still at least one more chasing him. Well, what we do learn is a bit of a spoiler at the end, though, is that like there's this whole network of people that know about New Eden and they've been coordinating to help people escape from being sent to new Eden. And so I, I, I took it as he's part of that group. Sure. Why not? Um, so then we get a shot of the, his boss, which is the main villain of the movie. And now he's wearing an eye patch. Yeah, he is. This is the point where, you know, now he is the villain confirmed. Solid Um, black eye patch. I mean, it's on the poster. Yeah. But so, you know, the poster spoils the BB gun scene for sure. Um, and we see him because there's a there's a meeting at the evil person headquarters <laughs> where they uh, have Legion of Doom. It's a meeting with like four people and they're surrounding this pallet of boxes. And there's, you know, at first there's no explanation given for these boxes. And it's just four people <laughs> standing around these boxes and they're just having a meeting. And then at the very end of the meeting the head evil person is like, well, we must stop him and dips his hand or her hand. I can't remember into the uh, box and pulls out a bunch of ashes. And then they said, what is this? A chicken bone or a bone or something? Not like a that? chicken bone. He knows it's, it's, human. and the other person goes, oh, that appears to be a child's tooth, sir. All right. And he, he like shows him and, you know, it's, a, it's supposed to be some big intimidating scene, but yeah, that basically confirmed that new Eden was murder. If at that point you had not figured it out, they are sending people off to be barbecued. But aside from that, on a, on a lighter note, 
this scene just solidified for me like how little money this movie had because it's just anything that takes place in the city is an extremely generic empty area courtyard yeah. with like no 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 furniture no chairs no tables nothing no that looks people. like anybody no people there's no extras there are no yeah. extras in this movie you know other than like at the motel right like it is barren wasteland where they like so they knew a guy who had like a building that hadn't been opened yet or something <laughs> Yeah, and around this point, I had realized how bad the acting and the writing was in this movie, and it started to make me wonder, because of that, the the driving scenes kind of hitting, peaking my, maybe this on purpose interest earlier, Mm -hmm. it it made me go, is this on purpose? Is this meant to, like, mirror older movies where maybe acting was much different and writing was much different? But it was just, I'm pretty sure the writing was just bad. And not all the acting was bad, but... The dialogue was really bad and the actors could only do so much with it, you know? Yeah, I mean, maybe they were trying to kind of model it off of that 50s to 70s era sci-fi, which, did, yeah. you know, it's hard to replicate now. It's just, it's not that time anymore. Right. And so in the next scene, I don't remember exactly what's happening here. I think they're in a car in the El Camino driving. But my next note was they're acting like they're married. This random woman that he's known for like two days and and uh noah are acting like they're married they're just like talking like they're married they're talking about their future um you know it's just a really weird we're sp- we're supposed to just accept that this is their future together uh, yeah it is it is strange and his motivations are all explained later at the end but hers, hers are not really not so much yeah cuz like you know and again so his whole plan is to take them up to Jackfish Lake in Canada, where he would go fishing with this guy who was like a father figure to him. And, you know, everyone believes that like there's no lakes left. There's not going to be anything up there, yada, 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 yada. So even like if that was true, this whole time I'm like, so what? The, they're going to grow old and die. And then the kid's just going to be in the forest by himself. Apparently. <laughs> like, what's the, what's the plan here? Um <laughs> So we get a scene where if you hadn't already figured out that this guy with the eye patch was the villain, now you get to see him <laughs> eating sardines. Oh, yeah. Oh, from the, the of, trophy? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And yeah, so it was gross. just a weird thing. So yeah, my note was eating raw sardines with an eye patch villain confirmed. With his, um, with his hands. Yeah, just straight out of the oh, tin. Oh, so it was so gross. It was, yeah, it was nasty. Um, so at this point, we get the because so they show up to a junkyard what what nowadays we would consider like a salvage yard or something like that what in this universe it's probably just a car dealer (laughs) um but this person they're they're negotiating right because the El Camino is not a practical car for them Mm -hmm. for the family they you know whenever anybody has a family they need to upgrade to a station wagon or a crossover or something so what is nick cage it also says humanity bureau all across yeah which is (laughs) great but uh, yeah, he's trying to negotiate for the trade for his 1981 El Camino, and he brings that up, and he talks about how the battery is worth a thousand dollars these days. But money isn't really any like money doesn't exist in the current in the sense. So I don't really know how what. It, well, I think like it's like because earlier he brings out the coffee can to to Rachel, and yeah, you know, he mentioned uh, she mentions that like you could buy a house with this out here, and so like there's clearly like a sense of monetary value and like a barter system in place for people who are not inside the cities. 
Yeah, well, and it probably, it's probably more for like to not be tracked by the government or whatever their purchases. I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is the point when he mentions that they haven't made cars in 30 years. So uh-huh. at this point, at this point, uh, you know, you had 1998 Dodge Durango was the newest car we had seen at this point. So you add 30 years to that. Well, were those models from 1998? They looked like it. Did they, okay. And the only reason why I why I think that is because I when I was growing up, my parents bought a brand new 1998 Dodge Durango the year they came out. Okay. And so I didn't notice any of the updated taillights or anything like that. It's kind of a car nerd thing. I don't want to get too deep into that. But they did no, look fine. like 1998 models. But even if I'm wrong, and, and you know, who knows? Because cars have been around for a while. You know, these cars have been through a lot at this point. You know, who knows what's been changed? Um that would be the earliest it could be would be 2028 because oh. 1998 oh, plus 30 20, years 28 yeah, yeah 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 and so you know it could still be 2030 um but there is something there is another car later that shows up that could change that but so we'll get to that i just i don't know it's weird for me to think that a movie made in 2017 would t- would have set up a world where we went into dystopia at the turn of the century because then like i don't know like a lot of that just doesn't really work out for me well that sounds like a you problem i mean it's it's an alternate timeline so you know who knows what could have happened you know Uh, but it's still a timeline where trump was still president at some point maybe he wasn't president maybe he was just because i mean he dressed more or less the same in the 90s right it's not like somebody else used the exact same slogan as him you know i mean i don't know it's a weird thing that's i don't want to get too too much into politics but yeah but if you assume that it's supposed to be him with the president right then it has to have taken place sometime after 2016 and so that pushes the date at least 30 years after 2016 he just said they stopped making cars 30 years ago. Right. So just because they stopped making cars doesn't necessarily mean that's when the apocalypse happened. It may, that may have been the start of the downfall. I mean, I, yeah, that, that that's true. But I mean, I look at like, COVID. COVID, there were like car, lo- car lots were empty. But there were still cars. COVID. Like there is still a 2020, sure. 2021 model year. You but know, I'm like, saying that in a something worse than COVID. Sure. It could have shut cars down, but, but things could have still... Yeah, no, 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 I'm with you there. I'm just saying, like, I that would have happened in 2016. I don't think it could happen any earlier than that. Is all I'm sure. saying. The logistics probably don't work out, but I'm just yeah. saying, it's not that hard for me to imagine a world where they stopped making cars, but there was still civilization for a while. Sure. sure. Um, then we get a scene where the villain with an eye patch and eating sardines <laughs> goes Adam. into he goes into an elevator, the same elevator where Nick Cage met his contact. And he stops the elevator instead of the contact. And uh, this scene is probably the most overacted scene in the whole movie. I mean, yeah, the the actors for these characters, Hugh Dillon and whoever the other guy is, uh, David Lofgren. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they just went all out. They, they were like, this is my scene and I have to nail it. And so they gave everything they have. <laughs> in this scene kudos to them for that it stood out more than it should have because of that it made the villain kind of just look even more like a just a mustache twirl and i'm evil for being evil villain 
Right. You know, he he claims that he has uh he's gonna murder this guy's family if he doesn't give him this information uh, about what he told Noah. Um, and it's yeah. And then then my next note is dead family, so I think they just killed the people anyway. Oh yeah, because they, they definitely show that shot. They are dead dead. They yeah, dead, dead. they assaulted, oh, yeah, yeah. beat up, and strangled the mom and kid. And the kid's like six, maybe yeah, eight. It was pretty it, brutal. Like, you know, I mean, yeah. The makeup wasn't great, so for me it was like not a believable thing, but it was it but that's was what they were trying to say. Traumatic, yes. They yeah. were showing the dead family. And then we get to meet the German NPC. I think he was German. The German. But this this just gave me more Fallout vibes because, you know, you get all these characters that have weird accents and stuff oh, in the, the guy, Fallout games. The guy yeah. with the bus. Yes. Yeah, There's okay, like a so. random family with a bus, which is also something you would see in Fallout. Um, well, that, remember, they, that's who... So the woman that they trade cars with tells him to like to look does that not guy. feel like a quest to you like a normal quest you'd go into a video game like you go sure. to one person and they're like oh you have to take this car and go meet this other person and they have information on how to get across the border yeah or, you know it, it felt very much like a game um but yeah this this guy is just a very uh, he has a very thick german accent uh, yeah because his family was vacationing in america and things didn't go well <laughs> yeah during the apocalypse apparently <laughs> or like pr- just pre-apocalypse just before um you know and yeah the apparently the tool he needed to get across the border was just a geiger counter well and the meds the um the, well yeah uh, but i mean it's not like it's stuff that he, they act like it's this device that you know that he's crafted from his own you know i don't know it, it well, made the, it seem like it was something fancy but it's just a geiger counter you can get them at antique store like it's not well the woman or, basically she doesn't know what it is she just knows if anybody knows how to get across it's him that's all so like there's this because what's happening it's just set up to be more than the, a geiger counter i feel like and then it was just a geiger counter so well because the the setup isn't so much the device as the the perception everybody has been pushed into believing that there's just like this unstoppable force at the border that nobody could possibly get past and it's yeah it was radiation essentially this is what they thought it would be that there's such severe radiation because there's a power plant up there Mm -hmm. um that nobody could get past it without dying of radiation poisoning and so you need a geiger counter to follow the path of the lowest radiation and make sure you aren't above whatever reading they said yeah i think it was like five thousand rads or whatever a day and the, the german guy at one point warns them that they will rape you and the boy if they come up so he basically says that anybody else you come across at this point is like hostile treat them as they're yes. hostile which you would and think would come up in a movie like this and it never doesn't. does <laughs> but also he like specifically mentions rape yeah which is well his daughter his daughter was is that the is that who mentioned it yeah yeah okay yeah. either way it's it, that, that makes it even darker uh, because it implies that you know something may have may have happened. Well, because yeah, because like they they yeah, his wife was killed and then his daughter was was raped. It just seems so. like if you're warning people, someone about violent people, that murder would be like the scary thing that you would want to mention to them. So that that just kind of came out of left field for me. Um, so they start driving to Canada. And at this point, it feels like the woman has not, like, when did she ever agree to go to Canada? Like, she just kind of 
joined it because they were running from people who were trying to kill him. And he's like, he just decides they're going to Canada. Well, they do have a bit of an argument about it. They do after this note. <laughs> they, they, I wrote this note down, and then like two seconds in the movie later, they have a little bit of an argument about it. Um, but yeah, it, it, at this point in the movie, she, I hadn't, they hadn't had that argument, so I was just kind of in my mind going, why? When did she ever agree to going to this guy's? He thinks there's a lake still in Canada that was there when he was a kid, and that's where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. For no other reason than other than he has good memories there, and for some reason she is totally okay with this. Yeah. Um, but then they have a discussion about it. It's li- admittedly only like a thirty second discussion, and then it's over. Well, is but... that the time? Is that when the big reveal happens? No, that's later. Is that later? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that was that's after. So my next note is that the evil guy has a timeshare pool. Yeah. Just in case you weren't convinced of how evil this guy was. In this place where, like, it's illegal to sell fresh water without a license and that everybody is drinking dirty water, he has a pool that is crystal clear. And he mentions indoor and he mentions that it's a timeshare during the conversation with this other evil guy. He's like, you wouldn't believe what I pay for this place. Right. I I come here once a month. He keeps trying to splash this guy. That's how that's how much of a villain is. He's just wasting this water, splashing into this guy. So the other guy, um, Agent Porter, we learn he, he doesn't know how to swim. Right. And he's a fair, I mean, he's a fairly young guy. He's not like, you know, in his, like, maybe he's in his thirties or something. He never learned to swim. So to me, it sounds like he might basically grew up in the apocalypse. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that was just a weird scene. Just establish even more that the vic- the villain is a villain. Um, he's very much the t- getting, taking the advantage of the system that he's in. Right. Yeah. And so then they they're driving to Canada and they get spotted by a sol- what's apparently a solar powered drone. So at this point, it makes me wonder if tech has advanced that far. It's just a we- they're in a weird place technology wise because I feel like the size of that drone there's they would have to have such efficient solar panels to power that thing to run for as long as it does. That, that technology does not exist yet. Or maybe it does for the government, I guess. I don't know. And that's the thing. Like This is like a legit military drone. I certainly don't know enough about what that technology is. A lot know. of like high-end drones these days can run for like 12 minutes. <laughs> well, That's I, not even an exaggeration. No, but like, the military ones can go significantly longer than that because we send them to other countries. Probably, but this like, one it like makes it seem like they're sitting there for hours and hours yeah. and hours. Uh, uh, might and be it's able just to circling. It's we just we very well may be able to do that today. Maybe. I'm saying that in terms of uh, what what they're wanting us to believe based on the other technology in the movie and them not making vehicles anymore and using 1998 Dodge Durangos for their government vehicles. Yeah, but look it's at It's harder phone. for me to believe. Look at their phone technology. Yeah, that, like, that's another thing that's weird. Why is their phone technology so advanced, but they can't come up with something more efficient than a Durango to drive around in? You know what I mean? It's... There's just a weird dichotomy between a lot of the technology in the in the movie. Yeah, I mean, my my take on it is that the military's budget continued to balloon in time of crisis, like it does in the real world, and so they have so, the money. So he's using a military phone. I mean, he does work for a bureau in the government, and so it might might require like certain security protocols or whatever that you couldn't have without yeah, it. Maybe right? I don't know. This is, we're getting kind of into the weeds on something that doesn't really matter in the end. But yeah, it was a, it was hard for me to believe that they would still have access to drones like this 
but yes, you're right. The phones being so advanced, maybe there's something there. Either way, they're sitting in this car, hiding like a sniper with a ghillie suit over there. They have like a, a car ghillie suit over the car to kind of make it look like the environment. And uh, while they're doing this, the kid's like playing with with fire matches. in the back seat. Yeah, he's like matches. lighting matches. He's so bored. And it's just a, I mean, for people that have kids, it's probably a pretty, like something that you're very familiar with you know kids being bored and just doing stupid things to try and get people's attention and for me it was more just like annoying well my takeaway was don't you think matches are probably hard to come by wouldn't you want to save those in case you would think like but i guess not uh so at this point my next note is wait so that's his kid so uh they have a him and the woman have a talk and she took the name of a person that he had sex with like yeah. eight years ago. 11. They aren't, it isn't really implied that there's much of a relationship beyond that. No, they knew so, each other for like a week or something. So that's the thing earlier on in the car, the, when you were talking about like how they're like get, they're getting to know each other, she mentions, he asks about the boy's father and she says, it was just some guy who came through and he stayed for a week. I think that's the real story for the real mother. And that's yes. what, and when we learn everything, that that's who that Nick was the guy yeah, who I came agree. through and stayed for a week. It yeah. Was... So, but so that that woman died, and now this woman is using her name, and so that's why Nick Cage, from the beginning of this, had like so much weird, inter- so many weird interactions with the kid, and seemed to care about this family more than he cared about a lot of other people that he dealt with because he recognized the name and recognized that this woman was not the person that should have this name and the kid lined up with the age. Now here's the big question. You ready for this? Sure. So Nick Cage, when he learns the truth about new Eden, he wants to save these people. Do you think he would have had any type of reaction like that? If his kid was not involved, would he have continued to be then a, a conscious bad guy knowing the truth? um yes but i feel like he would have been looking for a way out of it interesting he was a company man i mean the only reason why he didn't stop or why he stopped at this point for sure is because it was his family um i think but we don't get a lot of context so it's hard to tell we see one other case so we don't really know right but we know that he got into a gunfight with this guy over new eden and killed an old man well, you I mean, know. he was getting shot at with a shotgun. So I sure, mean, but the guy was just trying to save his own life. So oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the guy wasn't justified. I'm just saying Nick at, at the same time, like I, you know, so it wasn't like he killed him in cold blood. I don't remember exactly what happened, but at some point, one of the Durango's rolls and like blows up, and that seems like it was the highest dollar shot in the movie, like where their budget went. Right? Why does that happen? can't remember what they're shown to be like so a lot of the bad the bad guys are shown to be pretty far back from where nick cage is i can't remember exactly what was happening with this note but my next note says how did he catch up because i think they were way back and then all of a sudden they're right on i have no idea the only possible explanation i have is that they didn't drive the whole way they got like airlifted or something yeah because the bad guy like shows up on a I don't know. He just shows up at this place where they parked and, you know, he was shown to be in like their headquarters. 
multiple times the day before right he's swimming in the pool he's checking out noah's apartment he's getting threatened with the crate right like yeah while they're flying down the road but now he's immediately like right on the edge of canada essentially yeah um and so they stop at this like abandoned warehouse type place and uh (sighs) the kid's like i gotta go take a leak i'm gonna go take a leak or whatever and he goes by himself and goes pee in this bathroom and he hears weird noises and he goes uh, number two yeah he needs to take a poo poo yeah and uh which yeah the leak thing i don't really know why uh, yeah he does he does need to go poo and uh he gets ends up being captured by the guy who's like essentially like drowning him in a filled up sink of gross yeah. water yeah there's a sink with gross water yeah and the guy comes up behind him and like plunges his head into the water and blah 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 um and eventually the kid somehow gets away. I can't remember all the details, but he like well, goes into like a little grate underneath or like a wall grate. Well, so what happens is when Nick Nick goes to look for him. Yeah. And when Adam sees Noah, he for some reason stops trying to drown Lucas at this point. There's no explanation for why that is other than maybe he just gets bored. And yeah. so he goes after Noah but then all these other people show up and start shooting at Noah and you have him running from like three or four machine guns in one of the With most like comedic, no cover, no cover. He's like, ah, he's just like running. It looks so bad. It's like Kermit, you know, when Kermit runs, he's got his arms in the air. That's Dude, exactly what it's like. It reminded me of like a, a cutaway that family guy would have done. Yeah, Honestly, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. Somehow all these guys with like fully automatic machine guns completely miss him right um, like it's it's so terrible so then and the kid all, gets away the kid gets well so after that you find out that the kid pickpocketed the dude's new uh, adam's new eyeball that he has yeah. on him but hasn't been installed yet i guess for whatever well reason. it's a glass it's a glass eye so you just pop it and you pop it out but for some reason right now he's wearing an eye patch instead okay. of having the glass eye popped in yeah and so he pretends to drop it down in this great system he's like oh i'll get it and then he escapes through yeah the human size great system. Right. And then he just happens to pop up out of the great right in front of uh, where uh, Noah is driving and almost gets hit. When and they're like, there was a moment. Get in! And I thought this movie was going to take a turn. Yeah. That would have been a weird, <laughs> weird moment. But yeah, he gets into the, gets into the car um, and they get, they get away. So they think. I mean, and they, they killed get, most of the agents. Yeah. They get to the border and Nick Cage has his Geiger meter out and it's not, it's reading really low. And so the woman was like, Oh, the battery. And she pulls the battery out and takes a new battery from the kid's lantern. And she just, okay. This was really funny. I don't know if you noticed this, but she literally just takes the battery, like drops it in. Yeah, you can tell that this Geiger counter is like a, a, an empty thing. Yeah. And she just drops it in and magically it starts working, but it reads the same thing. So the battery was not the problem. So they're trying to figure out why this ba- why this uh, radiation is so low when all the stories say that it's supposed to be irradiated, and they can see the power plant across the way, and they figure out that it's just been a lie this whole time that nobody's dared to check it out in all these years. Well, Nick's uh, got Nick's got a line uh, where he's like, "Why build a wall when you can build fear?" Like, yeah, yeah, that was probably one of the better line in the movies, honestly, which is saying something, but. It's Um, a very, like, it's a good line, but it's also, like, for when this movie was made, it was a very specific 
on purpose line right yeah exactly it was like the tagline for the movie mm-hmm. um but yeah it that and so they just continue through to canada with no real issues uh until they i think they get stopped by the government people again is that what happens or they get well, out to do something so so this gets them through the the power plant right but their car eventually dies it overheats That's right. and so they're walking and they can see the border and then all of a sudden uh, you know, uh, Adam starts showing up behind him. And so they like race into the Canadian border, right? As the agents show up, but I mean, it's, it's an empty wilderness. And so the agents are like, yeah, it's like snowy. Yeah. There's nobody at the station. There's like a little station there. There's nobody in there. And so they have like this big confrontation in the snowy forest. Yeah. And immediately the people get out and shoot the woman in the head. Almost immediately. Yeah. They, basically they, right yeah. away. Yeah, um, it's which... it's a clean shot right to the right to the exact same place that everybody else gets shot. I'm guessing because it's an easy place to VFX. <laughs> it's just like the middle of the forehead. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she just gets popped in the head immediately and falls over dead and right in front of the kid. And no, the kid like, doesn't know. By the way, his parent right, her parental that, situation at all that Nick Cage is his father. Yeah. Well, he but also he, thinks that she's his real mother. Right, and yeah. but he doesn't really have a big reaction and so noah's like no let the kid go he doesn't know anything just let him go and uh so they, he goes i'm feeling generous i'll let the kid go and the kid runs up and he goes run like he yells at the kid to run because he's they give him like a limited amount of time i really thought that adam was going to shoot the kid in the back yeah i did too but so oh, we did skip there was a part we skipped there's a line that's very important because i think it makes this movie very strange Earlier on, after they escape from the fact that, like, the warehouse or whatever, Adam is talking to Agent Porter, and he tells him straight up that we're on the wrong side of history. He says that line. He says, "How you can't kill 7 million people and not have somebody find out about it. We're on the wrong side of history. And in my mind, I was like, oh, okay, so is he going to, like, stop hunting Nick? But no, he's like, no, we're he's on the wrong side of history, man. but I also have a pool timeshare, so I'm just going to keep digging. And a sardine fetish, apparently. But yeah, they just uh, I don't think it's as relevant to the movie as you did, but yes, well, that it is just, something that is said. It was like the movie wanted to be self-aware? No, the movie, the, the villain is a, as generic of a villain as you could possibly have. He knows he's on the wrong side, he doesn't care, he's happy with the way his life is, and will continue doing bad things to keep his... Like so I'm, lo- I'm looking for it's meaning very two-dimensional yes okay you're looking for meaning where there is I-, I want it to be um, better i feel like maybe a writer thought maybe that would be an interesting thing to add in but then they're like nah uh but anyway yeah he tells the kid to run and the kid uh you know runs off into the woods uh and then they shoot nick cage in the head uh well, the kid like yeah. gets a little ways away and, and then they back. shoot nick cage in the exact same spot on his forehead um and yeah the kid runs back and he's like crying and the villain's like okay the little boy crying and he's like he's like gonna shoot him and then a sniper randomly shows up and starts killing everybody everybody but the kid everybody but Uh, the kid. agent porter agent porter gets away for some reason yeah one of them gets away but he snipes everybody else and then another a a guy just maybe i know it was a sniper was a different guy and then a another dude just walks up and like adopts the kid yeah so this is where we find out that nick wasn't actually going to jack fish lake 
he had some deal set up with the Canadian government to provide data and inform on this genocide that's taking right. place within New America. And, yeah, and he had given this kid a rabbit's foot earlier in the movie where uh, he thought it was just a nice token, but the, the people that rescued the kid go, well, did he give you anything? And the kid hands over the rabbit's foot. And they twist the bottom of the rabbit's foot off and there's the USB drive or whatever. Which uh, has all the data about New Eden. And then we get to see the scene where Cross learns about New Eden. And we learn that like there's gas chambers and they're burning people alive. Very Holocaust yeah. designed right. type stuff, you know, based in based in history. Um, and so the Canadian government, I guess, is going to work with a rebellion in New America to overthrow the current. Yeah, and it starts showing the rebellion and like a bunch of we stuff. We get to see the German guy again. Yeah, the German guy and, and the lady the, at the car place. There's a random scene of the kid jumping into the lake. And... So, okay, so that I think is not Lucas. I think that's supposed to be Nick Cage's character, Noah, as a kid. Like he's dead. This is like his afterlife. Like, no, man, that was the kid. kid. It's showing Why? that the, it's showing that the kid is getting to getting to do this, like Nick Cage told him the stories about through the whole movie. I didn't think that that was the kid. It looked just like him. Uh, but I thought I, I, it wasn't the it same It doesn't actor. make it a better movie either way. No. It, 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 no either way you interpret it or yeah. whatever was intended, it doesn't really change the end of the movie. I mean, for me, it makes more sense that it's the, the, the kid rather than Nick Cage's character. But either way, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make it any better of a movie. Um, it's still not a great movie, but yeah, that's basically no. the end. So uh, Agent Porter does get killed by a mob. Yes uh on the highway and yeah new america supposedly like we're supposed to believe that it gets overthrown and new eden is dismantled theoretically right oh the, okay so the thing that show, throws the year into question hmm. there's a scene where oh during the revolution okay um there's like a scene of a car that's on fire or blows up or something okay and it's like a 2003 era ford escape i believe and gotcha. so that pushes it to maybe, but this is like the very end of the movie. Right. Um, if it's so that pushes the 30 years a little later than 2030, if that's the case. But I mean, if that was all that it was though, like, I mean, when you, if you mean 28 or 29 and you said they haven't made a car in 30 years, like it's, you're not yeah, I mean, specific, that's, but <laughs> they were definitely yeah. like, well, nobody's going to notice that this is a 2003 or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? It was just, it was a car that was on fire, but yeah, I don't know. That was the only other hint we got as to the year. So my, my guess is the synopsis is just a not great synopsis. Well, I mean, if you go off the, the Durango's, then it's correct. I mean, cause that would have put it in 2028. This or movie, it was close to it worldwide. This movie grossed $58,970. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, I mean that tracks. <laughs> uh it did win an award. A by Razzie? the way. No, it won uh best sci-fi VR film. VR film. At Cinequest San Jose Film Festival. So a virtual reality film. Yeah. What is a virtual reality film? I assume it's a movie that if you were to watch it in VR makes you feel like you're part of the film. Maybe there's an alternate cut. That's like, is that a thing? I'm something. pretty sure that's not a thing. I mean, there there's are like 3d films. There's 3d films that you can watch on a VR headset, but I've never heard of a VR film. There are VR 
productions. They're not like you like, I mean, they're not like from major production studios because you can't put them in theaters, but there are VR short Okay, films. so basically it's because this was probably the only film that came out this year that was done that way. I mean, maybe, yeah. I'd have to... I, mean, I can't imagine... As someone who's played several different types of VR, I can't imagine this movie would be any better in VR. But... <laughs> and I don't even see how it could translate well to it. But, you know, I've been wrong before, so lots of times. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I... I'm not familiar with, uh, let's see, but, oh, um, yeah, I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Yeah. Oh, well, no point in dwelling on it. Dead air. Wait, is that? Okay. John Travolta was in a VR film called Speed Kills that also won an award that year at the same festival. So they just basically give it to every film that was a VR film, apparently, whatever that is. Possibly. I don't know. There's best sci-fi VR film, best virtual reality, and then best virtual reality storytelling. Weird. And visionary uh, leader in virtual reality. All right. We got to rate this thing. That's... We're pushing our time. All right. All right. So, yeah. So we um, we rate everything on quality and, and caginess. Score of 0 through 20. 20 is high. I guess one through 20. One is low. Ryan, we're going to start with you here. Overall quality for the Humanity Bureau. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, but it was definitely not the worst film we watched. Uh, I enjoyed this film for the most part. Like I said, it wasn't a good film, um, but I did enjoy aspects of it and I enjoyed watching it. It kept my attention. I'm going to give it like a seven. A seven? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm with you. I, I like the premise a lot more than the movie itself. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think, exactly. Like, there's a good idea here. Sure. Right? It's just buried. <laughs> right. I just, it's not, it's, it's in a video game called fallout. <laughs> like, I feel like if they had like some decent money, I think they could have pulled off a cool movie here. So I'm actually going to give it a little bit of a bump. Um, and I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. I'm going to give that a nine. So that gives it a score of an eight overall. Um, I was tempted to give it a 10 because it's not like that puts it right in the middle of being good and bad. Right. You know? It's definitely a very middling movie, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah. It wasn't but, terrible, but it also wasn't good. Right. But I'm going to go to nine. Uh, then we have caginess. So the caginess, this one, I, I mean, he's not cagey at all. No, not at all. Uh, not even any hints, really. Right. And like the only other movie that was really like low caginess to this level was of course, Joe um, rage was pretty low as well. And stolen was pretty low. Um, I mean, I would just, I would give this a one. I can't think of a single moment that was yep. cagey. I'd agree with that. Yeah. It, it just wasn't cagey movie. Okay. It, it was definitely closer to Joe than something like, uh, you know, leaving Las Vegas or something like that, except Joe was a much better movie. Joe was very good. Yeah, Joe was a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a one for caginess. We've got an eight on overall quality and a one for caginess. So that does put it in the low, low quarter, but kind of interesting off by itself there a little bit. So there you have it. Um, Yeah. I don't think we've had one that was, uh, that was just kind of in the middle and super low caginess because a lot of the middling ones, they try and lean into the cage, you know, and give him, give him some moments to do his thing. But this one didn't really do that. Yeah, it's kind of off by itself right now for sure. Yeah. Um, 
All right. So that is it for the Humanity Bureau on our one year anniversary episode of the show. If you didn't know, and if you're watching and can see, we've got merch now. We've got big Nick Energy merch that you can get on our T Public store. And That's so right. if you go to comingofcage.com, we got the link for you there. You can get t shirts and stickers and notebooks and hoodies and all that kind of cool stuff to represent. We got four different Nick Cage faces to choose from inspired by Nick Cage films. So go check that out. And of course you can get all the links to our show at comingofcage.com as well. And you can follow us at coming of cage on your social media apps, Ryan, anything else for the humanity bureau or anything about our first year? No, I'm looking forward to the second year. I'm a little worried because we've done basically all is like Oscar nominated and winning movies. So other than I think he was nominated for pig, but um yeah we pretty much covered all of them so i worry that this next year is going to be all kind of like middling and crappy movies but well i hope there's a few surprises in there we'll see well i'm looking forward to when we get into his trinity his 90s trinity that we did yeah we haven't hit any of those yet yeah, so nothing. so there's still some good there's some good stuff there, there are some good ones yeah i'm just talking about the more like critical sure critically acclaimed yeah yeah all right well that's it let us know if you have a favorite or a least favorite movie we've covered so far in year one otherwise we will be back in two weeks for episode 27 make sure you join us for our wheel o cage well, we gotta week. add something to the wheel don't we oh we do oh my gosh see i've been doing this for a year and i already forgot but ryan's got me yes thank you so much we have to figure out what movie is going to join the wheel o cage so the wheel o cage we spin it every other week to determine what nicholas cage movie we will cover. And then, of course, we have to add something to the wheel. And so the movie joining the wheel is Kiss of Death. Right. We'll join the wheel. So you can go to comingacage.com to find our Wheel of Cage spin a week from this episode coming out to find out what movie gets picked next. Now I think we're done. Boom. Boom. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Or watching. <laughs>